Hi guys, welcome back to my podcast. This is Zoya, your host, and you're listening to The Black Sprout. And on this week's episode, we are talking about what is culture? Definition time. Culture is the characteristics and knowledge of a particular group of people encompassing language, religion, cuisine, social habits, music, and art, just to name a few. And uh, I was doing some research and I found that the Center for Advancement Research on Language Acquisition, which is actually a resource and research center devoted to improving language, teaching and learning in Minneapolis. Right. So it's also part of the University of Minnesota. Just a tidbit for your information. Um, Anyway, culture is defined by them as a shared pattern of behaviors and interactions, cognitive structures and understandings that are learned by socialization. And you may be sitting here asking, Zoya, why all this? Why do I need to know this? And I think it's important that if we're gonna sit here and talk about culture and talk about the importance of culture, we need to understand what some of these impacts are, right? Like culture helps us learn about socialization. And how do we gain culture? We socialize. And so like many words, The word came from a French term, uh, which surprise, surprise, came from a Latin term, which is colore. And so, sorry guys, me butchering the French and here I am in a bilingual country. Anyway, it means to tend to the earth and grow or cultivation and nurture. So think of it as this, the fostering of growth. Culture fosters growth amongst the community, a group of people, um, a population. Culture in itself is a term of classification, not necessarily culture, the word, but when we talk about specific cultures, we are classifying groups of people. And so we have classifications like Western culture, right? And this is to group people who are influenced by the European immigration to North America. Now, we're saying European, but we know that there was obviously a lot of other cultures and groups of people that were forced in through this immigration because how was the West built? How did the West come to be? Hmm, maybe that's a lesson for another day. Um, Anyway, and then we have things like Eastern culture. It's classified by countries in the far east of Asia, right? So think China, Japan, Vietnam. And I'm saying Vietnam because I just went to this Vietnamese restaurant in Markham um, the other day for my sister's birthday. And when I tell you, the food was good. The food was good, okay? The food was good. Culture is the perfect way to understand the ways that religion impact culture, right? So let's take some place like India. Um, Before the 12th century, Buddhism was largely followed before it was overtaken by Hinduism. So there's this misconception, and I also can say this because um, in my Catholic uh, religion class that I had to take in like grade 10, we talked about this. That being said, they, did I take in grade 10? No, I took in grade 11. Take that back. So it was my grade 11 uh, religion class. It was a world religion. But guys, let me tell you, just a little tidbit, if you're in the Catholic school board and you're listening to me, put world religion in grade 12. First of all, put world religion and religion, world, history, okay? The world, I'm sorry, I'm twisting over my words, but my emphasis is on this idea of the world. Can we start putting it in all classes and more importantly, sooner than later? But we got a sprinkle of it 
in my uh, grade 11 class. And I was like, what? I was missing a lot. There's this misconception about the Hindu religion that um, it's a polytheistic uh, religion, right? Basically meaning that they serve a lot of gods. And that's not true. And the reason that this misconception is here is because of Western society and its interpretation, um, lack thereof of understanding, maybe critical thinking and asking questions or looking to other people who know better and getting the information from them instead of just believing that me, me, I know everything. Anyway, it's not that. It's really what it is, is that there is uh, one God, Bram, and all these other gods are just manifestations of him, right? And traits and such, right? So India had a, has a caste system. And at this time, we're talking about 1500 BCE, India has a caste system and it has four main groups. So the belief was that based on one's karma, so do good guys in life, but based on one's karma in one's past life, it impacted where they would fall on the caste system, right? So the higher up you were on the caste system, the more good you must have done in your life and the lower you were, you know, the less good you must have done in your life, right? This in turn was some sort of punishment, right? That if you did better, then you would have been higher on the caste system. Um, and, and so in your next incarnation, you receive the benefits of your karma. And so, Anyway, that is one classification. But what I really was trying to explain there is just the, the way that religion impacts uh, culture at times, right? And I think I would scratch that. Sorry, I take that back a little bit. I think religion impacts all of our cultures because look at us, for instance, with this Roe versus Wade and the justification that people have, whether or not people should be you know, pro-life or pro-choice. A lot of the rhetoric and speech that is happening in like North America is really impacted and almost challenged with Christianity, right? Like a lot of our thought paths, these thought paths that people are having are influenced by Christianity. And as somebody who grew up in the Christian church um, and was, you know, often told these ideologies about, you know, pro-life and such, you can see its impacts. And also just the idea that we fund, you know, the Catholic, and yet again, me, I can say this, I went to a Catholic high school, but the fact that it's like funded or we look at, you know, the impact that like uh, the Catholic Church had on indigenous people in Canada, like all this is impacted by religion, right? Like culture is being formed and forced on people through with its impacts in religion, like the influence of religion of what we believe is right and wrong, right? Like our morals a lot of times are being gathered and gained from what is that religion, um, what is the dominating religion at the time, the dominating force? Who's funding? And, you know, the church and the government at one time, like some may, people may argue it's like definitely, you know, there's a lot of uh, space now, but it was really tied together, right? So here I am going to hit you with another classification. We are going to talk about Latin culture. And so pinpointing Latin culture itself can be difficult because geographically it's widespread. Now the girlies know I am not great at geography. Okay. Here I am wanting to be a world traveler and I'm not great at geography, but you know what I do follow? My stomach. <laughs> I'm joking because I'm a picky eater, but I try and I've grown a lot. Um, in fact, I'm going to be telling you a little bit about the trip I went on. Um, I've been wanting to speak about it in an episode, but I, I didn't want to just 
makeup. Zoya goes traveling and then just telling you all my fun little stories. Um, you know, I got to save some for uh, icebreakers. But I said, this episode, this is the right one. This is the one where I will finally be able to say what I did abroad. Latin culture, I'm going to give you some information. Uh, Latin America is usually defined as parts of Central America, South America, and Mexico. So this is basically where Spanish and Portuguese are the dominant language. And we need to understand that Latin culture is incredibly diverse. Now I'm going to say that again so we get it through our ears. Latin culture is incredibly diverse, right? And it's estimated that about 24% of the 54 million identifying Hispanics in the U.S. are Afro-Latino. And I'm saying the U.S. because, guys, I'm sorry, the stats are sometimes hard to find from Canada. That being said, stats Canada, hit me up. I have some questions for you, okay? I have some questions, and maybe if I ask you these questions, you can start gathering this information, okay? Make me sound more credible. You know, I'm a Canadian here trying to provide information to the masses, to my listeners, and I don't even have that many Canadian stats because you don't want to provide it for me. I am willing to do the research and read. In fact, I'm a journalist. <laughs> do you want me to interview people? Call me, okay? Stats Canada, hit me up. Or any Canadian statistic, you know, hit me up, okay? Fund me, though, okay? No free work. Anyway, um... Afro-Latinos, a lot of people are sitting here like, wait, I'm familiar with the term, and you should be, because, you know, we just had the whole debacle within the Heights, you know, with Manuel, what's his name again? Well, let me check. Lin-Manuel Miranda, uh, basically butchering his movie, or musical, really, because lack of representation, and the representation that was there was in the background, and people were like, hey... Hey, no, no, it's a, it's a Latino story. It's a Latino story. Come on, give him some grace. And people were like, you know Afro-Latinos exist. It's crazy. <laughs> Mind-blowing, I know, but like Afro-Latinos exist. And so you may be sitting here asking me, Zoya, clearly I need to know more. And so here I am providing you the more. Afro-Latinos is really referring to people that are from Latin heritage, right? But deriving from African descent, right? So this basically means that they have darker complexion, okay? Some people may read them as black and they have kinky curly hair, possibly, you know, diverse, like we said, diverse. And so this may come to a surprise for some people that picture that Latinos are always white or have a lighter complexion. You know, they, it's really funny too, because despite coming from similar backgrounds, you know, and cultures, they're often not recognized. And obviously this is because of stereotyping and racism, like all things, and colorism and such, that they are not part of this representation, that they're often forgotten. And I think this is really to do with the box that we like to draw people in and put people in, right? And say that black is this and white is this and, you know, you're allowed to be here and only exist in this space if you meet this certain criteria. And if you don't, I have so many questions for you because you don't belong here. And yet they do. And I, and I want to say that this is connecting to my next story. I learned that the city of Los Angeles, I know, 
right away you hear this LA you're picturing it the influencer lifestyle maybe Emma Chamberlain blonde coffees um, free sponsorships parties white white Hollywood maybe and what you need to know is that Los Angeles was actually founded by Afro Mexicans right so the LA Times I read this wrote a piece about their founders for the Black History Month in 1995, right? So more than half of the 11 families that founded Los Angeles were of African descent, sorry, with Spanish surnames. And there was a plaque that was installed paying tribute to this, right? But mysteriously, it disappeared. Um, that being said, word on the street, the gossip, the tea, that there were several recreation and park commissioners that weren't too happy, right? About these public plaques, they wanted them removed. And the ones that they replaced them with 20 years later, you know, omitted the race of the founders. But thanks to Miriam Matthews, who was a black librarian, shout out to librarians, okay? This is why we need more funding in public in the public sector. But black the black librarian, um, she was the first one to be college trained in California. And the plaque was yet again installed and replaced, including the names, race, sex, and ages of the founder. And as somebody who took, um, you know, an archives class, I actually think it's very interesting, but also important that she put in, you know, the race, age, sex, and such of the founders, because we are able to gain so much more information and understanding of people and movement. Maybe if you're into anthropology, that may interest you, but we are able to gain so much more information and truth from having full pictures of people, right? Like the names aren't enough when we're sitting here so quick to say that certain groups of people do not belong in countries. And yet here we are having people who founded cities and not getting the recognition of it. I mean, just the idea alone that when you think of Los Angeles, the images you have are white, like astonishingly, overpoweringly white. The people who are getting jobs and who are, you know, succeeding in Los Angeles are white. And I say this because, you know, you have influencer culture, right? Only recently starting to diversify itself. Who was moving to L.A. to gain these opportunities? They were overwhelmingly white people. Yikes, guys, not a great look, not a great look. So I'm gonna paint you a little picture of 1910. You had the first all black school built in LA um, where at the time they had white teachers teaching black students because it was very hard for these black teachers, um, one, to become teachers, let's just be honest. So small and discriminatory laws. Okay, they were making it hard to have black teachers journey out of state to become teachers in L.A. And it wasn't until about eight years later that the school was built on wood framed named 51st Street um, that they finally got their first black principal, Bessie Burke. <laughs> Sorry, Bessie. Anyway, uh, it's funny because when I was reading, too, they were talking about how strict she was, and at first I was like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know if I wanna add that in. People were scared of her. But I think that it really speaks to, you know, how black women are forced to present themselves in these spaces. For her to be taken seriously, she had to be 
quote unquote mean. You know, she had to almost scare people so that she was respected, taken seriously. Um, and let me just tell you, that school was burnt down in 1922. And then it was renamed to Holmes Avenue School. Uh, and I think that it's really interesting when we have renamings of things. Sometimes we do this as a way to right our wrongs, right? Like um, Ryerson being renamed to Toronto Metropolitan you know, University, a way to right it wrong against colonialism. But in that same way, it almost acts as an erasure. We don't call this school, Holmes Avenue um, School, 51st Street School anymore. And I, I mean, yeah, cities grow and they, and they build, but do we remember these things? This article was in 1995, and I'm not saying nobody knows about these things, but who knows about this? Anyway, let's talk about why culture is important. It is probably one of the first ways that stories are told, right? And it's a way to continue to celebrate and remember the past. With culture comes these ideas and these images of what those people are made up of, right? We're talking about traditions and customs and the way that we entertain ourselves. Art is probably one of the biggest influences of culture, right? So this is where visual art, architect, music, and more are built surrounding culture, from culture, about culture, and you know, I find that even the rejection of culture, you know, where we have subgroups like, um, I don't know, skate culture, <laughs> I'm not even part of it, but you have subgroups, right? They're built because of culture. It is because of your understanding and engagement of that culture and because you may rather not engage with it, so you're rejecting it. It is all based on culture. Culture is really important, okay? And... You know, culture is really a way that we express and define ourselves. I think about myself when people sit here and they ask you, oh, who are you? You know, uh, let me get to know you. And I'm not talking about the job because those ones are a little bit hard. You, you know, you really try to keep it. You practiced, right? You were like, oh, I do this. This is my occupation. This is my years of service. These are my certifications. And you're sprinkling a couple interests. But when people really ask about you on the street and they want to like, oh, who are you? Like, where are you from? culture they're, they're trying to relate with you they want to find out who you are and it's culture that does those things right and it helps people um knowing culture really helps people's ability to think okay and i'm gonna say this and here's my example sharing food my family and me obviously we shared food but i think the act of learning about like tapas and the way that other cultures actually share food as a community really changed my outlook on sharing food. And I didn't necessarily think it was foreign, but it really brought the aspect, you know, to home. And I think that in that same way, when we learn about other cultures and we understand culture, the actions and the things that they do become less foreign to us and they start becoming things that we're familiar with. Maybe not on a personal level, but it's not as odd, right? And so the act of sharing food is something that I really enjoy, okay? I really enjoy sharing food because it's a way to try a lot of things at once without having that overwhelming burden financially, <laughs> yeah, of paying for it all, but also just like expecting to eat it all. And I mean, that in itself is just another topic for another day, obviously, in the ways that we like consume food and, and this idea that like you need to finish what's on your plate. but. 
scratch that. Like, that's not really my focus today. But just the idea that, like, sharing food and culture is something that's really important to us and a lot of people, right? And so let's talk about some of the things I learned about culture on my trip. First of all, I went on a trip where I started in Rome. I visited Florence. You know, I went to the Vatican. And, you know, I got to go around the Mediterranean. It was really cool. You know, I got to see things like Greece, Montenegro. Um, you know, I really enjoyed my trip, okay? I really enjoyed it. I'll be talking about it for years to come, and I should. Cost enough. But I'll be talking about it for years to come. And so one thing I want to say is that the world is really big, okay? Places are really big. And I feel like you really start to understand how small and what a blimp you are in the grand scheme of things. And maybe that offers you some comfort in like do that passion you wanted to do, figure out, you know, the people you want to be around, explore. Maybe that will help you. But also just the idea that like, there is so much out there, okay? There are a lot of people out there. I got a lot of stories, okay? I was on a cruise for a portion of the trip and I was sitting there talking with just like any and everybody. I, apparently I have a really um, friendly face, <laughs> okay? I got that a lot. People kept telling me I have a friendly face. So to all the girlies <laughs> in my classes who wanted to call me names, uh, I forgive you. No, I'm joking. I didn't even care about you. I was there for my education. I don't care if you're mad that I ask questions in class. Okay, I pay for that. That's what I'm supposed to do. You're mad that I, anyway. Uh, there are a lot of people out there and I met tons of people. And I, I remember I went this, met this one lady, um, she's from Mexico and she was talking about her house, okay? The interior of her house. I was astonished and she was an interior designer. So I was like, babes, I love you even more. And she was just talking about like the big open windows. And as somebody who's getting older, all that stuff matters to me a little bit more. I'm like, oh, I love I love um, the home stores, you know? Let's look at decoration, I love it. But anyway, the world is really big. But when I was in Barcelona, um, one thing that was really common was about sharing food, right? So the whole concept of sharing food was so entrenched that the food portions and the way that you order food and the way that people talk about food was all surrounded by the idea that you share. And, you know, they would put the plates down in front of you, but it wasn't in front of you. It was in front of us, right? I would sit there with my mother, right? And it was to share. And when you were talking about, like, oh, do you like this food? And, like, how is it? You know, a lot of the conversations they were, they mentioned about, like, how it was shared, right? Like, oh, you dip this and, and you know, um, get this because you'll be able to share it. Oh, if you want to, like, share that food, is that something you want to fill up on? Is that for you? Is that for the table? Like, the conversations were about sharing food. And it was something I definitely taken, okay? All me and my friends, um, most of them like to do it anyway, but I think it became so, so much of a part of our eating habits now that we just... In we know going out that we're going to share food. I'm going to get my meal. You're going to get your meal. Obviously, pick what you want. But best believe somebody is going to ask you for a bite or you're offering a bite. And it's it, there's there's nothing in it. And it's kind of funny, actually, um, that me saying this because I had, here's my Brady Bunch story. It wasn't even what I was going to share. But I am in a giving mood and I'm in a sharing mood. <laughs> so I'm going to share a story with you. Uh, one of the Brady Bunch, uh, delusional Brady to be exact, she had gone out the night before and she had gotten like uh, Lakma, right? So they're like these mini donuts and similar to like Timbits. Someone on TikTok said it was the yesified version of Timbits. 
she had them and i remember that she um hadn't shared any any the night before don't get me wrong i didn't actually really want any you know i was busy doing my own things and it's also just like somebody not offering something to you makes you want it even 10 times less like hello like me and my friends were just giving people so it was more of a just uh, uh, another thing that stuck out to me to be like, we are different. And she often tried to make these points to talk about how similar we were. And for me, it was like, they're just these t even little things that you do that are very obvious to me that show that we are very different people because uh, I come down for something. I think I came for like a glass of water and just like if it had been me um, and not before I realized that they were like racist, misogynistic and had terrible traits. But like before that time, I would have offered because I have this whole box of donuts, okay? I would have offered you one. And so the next day, I think we were doing um, a gift exchange because Brady, delusional Brady, she insisted that we do it. And we were like, we don't even like each other. Um, but anyway, she insisted that we do it. And I remember she had said like, oh, let me go get my LACMA. Nobody wants your day old donuts now, <laughs> okay? Share from your heart. Nobody wants your day old donuts. <laughs> anyway, that was this week's episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in um, and listening. Make sure to follow us on our socials. That's Black Sprout on Twitter and Instagram, B-L-C-K-S-P-R-O-U-T. And make sure to join the newsletter. And my inbox is always open. I love it when you hit me up. I love it when you ask me questions. And I love it when you're engaging in the podcast. Um, I'm really trying to make sure that Instagram is popping. So show me some love. And show some love on the, the YouTube, okay? I'll keep posting if you keep loving. Okay, this is a partnership. Bye. Bye.